Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of Bloomberg Intelligence Tech Disruptors podcast. My name is Anurag Rana, and I'm a technology analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, Bloomberg's in-house research arm. We're delighted to have Chris, Chief Digital Information Officer of ServiceNow, Chris Bedi, as our guest today. ServiceNow is one of the cleanest cloud stories out there, in our view, with strong organic growth rate and expanding margins. We are hoping Chris will give us some more insights around product development and pre-growth initiatives that the company is undertaking. So without any delay, let's ask Chris about a short history of the company and his current role. Sure, and Anurag, really, really happy to be here. A little bit about myself, as you mentioned, Chief Digital Information Officer. My role at ServiceNow is to really help the company grow and scale to meet all the needs of our customers, and that's driving a great customer experience helping our existing talent with an incredible employee experience, you know, scaling operations, as well as, you know, cybersecurity and analytics for our whole company. And ServiceNow, you asked about the origins of the company, and I'm sure we'll get into more detail, but at our core, we are a platform company. We continue to invest in that platform, one data model, one platform to serve the needs of 80% of the Fortune 500 companies. Uh, that's excellent, Chris. You know, I'll tell you a few years ago when I started to look at uh, ServiceNow, you know, I was truly amazed at both, as I said, the organic growth rate and the expanding margins and, you know, the amount of revenue you generate from your existing client base. You know, perhaps you could give us a bit of a, I guess I would say a history lesson that, you know, when the company was formed or the kind of work that you do with all the enterprises how did it start with the IT space or the core products? How did they come about and how it has expanded since then? Sure, happy to. And it's a great question. And uh, I go back to our founder, Fred Luddy. When he was forming this company, his vision was to build a platform which would allow work to flow seamlessly within the enterprise and a platform really that could help anybody digitize their work. Digitize is a word we use nowadays. It wasn't a word we use, he used back then. But the concept is the same. And you talked about ITSM or IT service management, our flagship product. And this just happened to be the first use case that Fred built on top of this amazing platform. It wasn't that Fred set out to build an ITSM company. Fred built a platform company. ITSM just happened to be the first use case. And you mentioned the incredible organic growth and the margins. And it's a very clean story, I would say, because of the power of this platform. And on this same platform, we've built more use cases for technology, operations management, project management, asset management, cybersecurity. When you really think of it, becoming that end-to-end -end platform that can serve the needs of the technology organization. But on top of that same platform, we've built products and solutions that serve the employee experience with HR case management, employee onboarding, employee micro journey management, also helping customers with serving their customers better. So customer experience. And then last but not least, operational workflows. So as you can see, the platform is, is incredibly powerful such that you can literally build any use case you want to power your business whether it's helping your company with enhancing its, its own customer experience, employee experience, operational excellence, or technology excellence. So Chris, when we look at most of the companies that 
are part of our podcast are usually disrupting one area or the other. And I've often wondered as to when you look at ServiceNow, what are some of the traditional or the legacy products or the companies or areas that you have been disrupting? I'll talk about areas and the story in, in technology has been written, but I'll talk about some of the emerging ones, which is if you think about talent and talent has never been more front and center with the C-suite than I believe than it is today. You could talk about the great resignation. You could talk about hybrid work. You could talk about the new generation entering the workforce. All of that leads to how can I use technology to create a talent advantage for my own company? And we're seeing more and more companies lean into the ServiceNow platform to do that. And it's everything from onboarding your employees, ramping them up, giving them self-service capabilities with day-to-day needs, but going deeper into that. We just announced a really important acquisition for the company. It's a company called Hitch, which is all about skills and how can you capture your employees' skills and then leverage those skills to build digital workflows that help power your company, one, but two, also help the talent at your company with their career development. So an area that I absolutely believe we're disrupting is around the talent in the enterprise and how they're using platforms like ServiceNow to create a talent advantage for themselves. Another one that I would say, I'll generically call it industry workflows. If I go back in the past a little bit, and Anurag, you've been covering this sector for a while, so you'll appreciate this. Whether it was ERPs or supply chain systems of the past, they were great. They brought a level of productivity, but were primarily record-keeping system. They didn't really help with the workflow. So ServiceNow is leaning into industry-specific solutions. So in telecom, it's going to be complex service order orchestration, network inventory management, banking, payment operations, healthcare, patient and physician experience, public sector, citizen experience. So bringing that next wave of innovation, next wave of productivity, next wave of speed into those areas and disrupting, I wouldn't say, you know, architectures there, because ServiceNow coexists with all the legacy investments that have already been made, disrupting in a sense of bringing that next level of productivity, speed, automation experience. Those are just some of the areas I could go on and on. No, that's a fair point. And again, you know, perhaps we could peel the onion and talk about maybe one area as an example and how it helps enterprises. You know, I would even take it one level up and say, when I have been talking to companies in recent months, they are extremely, I would say, grappled with very high inflation, supply chain problems. And then let's say for the sake of discussion, you know, you walk in and say, well, I can help in X, Y, and Z. You know, where do you stack rank in in those discussions in terms of, because we always talk about software being deflationary and helping companies with productivity. How how do you go about and, uh, you know, explain to them how they, how you can save them money or make them far more efficient? Sure. And I like the sort of zooming out and up-leveling it. You think about what the C-suite is worried about today. It's not one thing, it's many things. I talked about talent. Another one that I would highlight is how do I grow my digital revenue, which if you look at projections, IDC projections, that needs to grow from maybe 20-ish percent of the revenue at any given company to 40-ish percent by 2027. Productivity. How do I get more productivity from my existing labor? How do I expand my margins faster? And, And regardless of what they're focused on, 
ServiceNow as a platform has solutions that can help them get there faster, whether it's productivity, cost reduction, getting more out of their tech so that they can create those new digital revenue streams, holding onto their talent a bit better. But here's the thing, Anurag, when people are making a bet, how am I going to get there faster? Increasingly, what I hear from our customer C-suites is, I want to bet on platforms. I want to bet on platforms that can get me there quickly. I do not have time for 18, 24, 36 month implementations. And, we, and, and they see with our platform that they can get there really, really quickly. And I want platforms where I'm confident I can actually get a 5X, 8X, 10X return on that investment in that timely manner. And as we engage with our customers in these deep conversations, they're seeing that. And it's evidenced by the amount of business and deals that we're closing with our customers and the size of those deals exponentially increasing. Got it. I mean, I, I think I've always been very intrigued by this because in principle, a typical legacy ERP system should do a lot of these things that you mentioned. And I would love to hear from you what has been some of the shortfalls of, you know, legacy on-premise products that, you know, your platform is designed to fix, I guess. Well, I'll talk about a gap that we're filling. And, and by the way, an increasing motion that we're seeing in our customer base is they're faced with very technology, I'll call it challenged ERP upgrades, which tend to be measured in years, not months and quarters in terms of timelines where the value outcomes are, in, you know, still a little bit murky and unclear. And they're saying, well, what about if I took some of that white space, gray space that may exist in finance operations, order operations, supply chain operations, and moved it to a modern platform like ServiceNow? They're saying, can I reduce the tech debt in my ERP system and move some of it to ServiceNow? That's one motion. Another one is, how do I make it easier for my employees interact with some of those departments that I just mentioned. ServiceNow is a logical answer for that. So we have multiple cases where large global brands are saying, as I'm doing my upgrade, or maybe even I don't do my upgrade, I'm going to move these use cases to ServiceNow to get these outcomes of speed, experience, and productivity. And let's leave the ERP system, which by the way, they do provide a ton of value where it is today, but move some of these use cases to ServiceNow. Yeah, I, you know, we are also seeing the same exact thing with some of the other companies in, in database and analytics as well. And one of the things that really intrigued me over the last couple of quarters on your conference calls has been so much discussion about, you know, low-code and no-code technologies and the work that is going into that. So perhaps you could elaborate and teach us what is ServiceNow's philosophy in this realm and how are you, I guess, making products that utilize some of this technology? I can talk about low code, no code, and I'll get to ServiceNow's philosophy in a second. But as a, as a CDIO, and I talk with all the major global company CIOs as well on a weekly or monthly basis, I, I've come to this conclusion with low code, no code, which really there's three choices. You can ignore it because it's already happening out there. Like the talent out there wants to be in, in control of their own destiny, digitize their own stuff. So you can ignore it. You can try and block it. That's not going to be very successful, I don't think, in today's environment. The only logical choice left is to embrace it. 
But I firmly believe, which is also ServiceNow's philosophy, it has to be low code, no code with the right governance model. And the central tech organizations, whether it's office of the CTO, CIO, CDIO, has to play a critical role in enabling low code, no code citizen development across the entire organization. And I think Gardner estimated that 60 some percent, 66 percent of new applications they envision to be built with low code, no code citizen developers by 2024. You have IDC saying 750 million new apps need to get created. Another stat was that 40% of your workforce today is ready to do low-code, no-code. And we are seeing tremendous momentum in our customers of loving this concept of low-code, no-code with the right governance model in place. And there's another element to it, which is, there's two I'm going to highlight. It has to be a continuum from low-code to pro-code because there's going to be different skill sets along the way. And what might start as a very simple low-code, no-code app may start to gain traction. And pretty soon, you might want your professional developers to help out with it and scale it so it can serve thousands or millions of people. The second element to highlight is we're really trying to embed in our platform everything an enterprise would need to create that automation center of excellence and scale it using low-code, no-code. So automation is super important in today's environment, whether it's to drive productivity or cost reduction or speed or experience. All of these roads leads to, we need to automate more. Now automation, depending on what you're trying to automate, is going to have a different look and feel to it. It could be workflow automation, could be RPA enabled automation. It could be integration with other parts of the ecosystem in terms of the tech stack. And what we've built in our platform is all of these capabilities that integrate with each other. So no matter what the use case, you can leverage the ServiceNow platform to automate it. And our customers are buying into that, as well as buying into the fact that we need governance on this. Point solutions, department specific, just simply don't scale. They don't have the right security posture. And it actually adds risk to the equation, which is the last thing the C-suite wants right now. Yeah, fair point. You know, I was very curious about it initially that we, we heard from you, the background of the company. Would also love to hear if there are any industries or areas that are you are more concentrated than others. And if you have any interesting examples for us to perhaps envision that how your platform is helping people, you know, improve their productivity, would love, would love to hear a little bit about that as well. Sure thing. So I'll, I'll highlight a few in the interest of time. One, one of the major ones we're focused on is banking. And in banking, Lloyd's Bank comes to mind. They actually are using ServiceNow for a core operation for them, which is all about payment operations and leveraging our platform, integrating with other parts of their ecosystem. They took a process which used to take three weeks to execute and are now actually executing it, I think something within like four hours. So Lloyd's Bank is a great example, and that is one of the key industry for us, for us, which is banking customers. I think JPMC and their recent investor day actually shared how they're leveraging a ton of benefit using the ServiceNow platform. But I'd highlight banking, telcos. Telcos are a big focus areas for us. I mentioned complex order orchestration, network inventory management, building new businesses on the Now platform, British Telecom comes to mind. They actually announced a new service offering enabled by the Now platform. We're working with AT&T 
to help them with their, you know, revamping their order operations. And we see that with the largest telcos worldwide. Just to round out, public sector, citizen services, we do a ton of work with not only the U.S. federal agencies, but public sector agencies worldwide. One very public story that hit in the midst of the pandemic was around really helping the whole country of Scotland with its vaccine management program. We're working with healthcare providers around the world on patient physician experience. So industry-wise, I would highlight banking, telco, public sector, and healthcare as primary ones of focus, but we obviously serve all industries. This always gets me thinking that, you know, if I am an enterprise, let's say one of the banks, and I am going this in this journey of upgrading a lot of these uh, new solutions using your platform, but I still have to pay for those, you know, old legacy ERP systems. What's your vision that over the next few years, you know, what's going to happen to a large portion of this on-premise footprint, which all of us know still dictates a bulk of the IT spend today? You know, anything from 60% and above of the IT spending just goes to support legacy products. What's your viewpoint as to how that changes over the next few years? I, I think it's a great question. And I think what we're going to start to see, because you mentioned the cost of supporting these systems, and there's multiple elements that go into a cost. There's obviously what you're paying by the provider, the company that's providing the software. There's the internal labor that goes to support that technology, whether it's integrating it or upgrading it. There's building out new use cases on top of it. And so Anurag, I think what we'll see is a shift of those dollars to say, whether it's an ERP or a mainframe, let's keep the use cases that we put on that platform to the core and really what it was built for. And for other things which are more workflow in nature, or we need to deliver a great experience, or we need to deliver better, more resilient integration, start shifting some of those internal resources, that internal focus area to platforms like ServiceNow. And so I think it's going to be a shift in dollars and ongoing investment versus a wholesale move from one to the other. It's a very valid point. And that brings me to another discussion you just touched on is the you know, potential for 700 million new apps down the road. That was another thing that got me excited of, I would say, a couple of quarters ago when we heard on your conference call about application modernization and the use of the now platform for that. What is, I guess, the appetite right now for customers, especially with all the macro headwinds that we have seen, to invest in a new platform to either upgrade those legacy applications or rewrite them in a brand new cloud native way? Or, you know, what, when you discuss this with the executives, how are they thinking about this entire process? Anurag, I think it's a great point. And whether you're calling it the existing platforms they have today in applications or we, whether the term legacy is used, either way, they are not easy to replace. And one of the things we're seeing with ServiceNow, and I'll take the Lloyds Bank example, they didn't replace all the underlying systems. And I doubt that most of our customers are. They start out with saying, let me use ServiceNow as an automation layer and an experience layer on top of those applications. So in essence, kind of like, let me get more of that out of that investment I already made in, that, in, in, in those legacy technologies. And then over time, start to perhaps replace them. That, that's, a, that's a big motion that we see. In other cases, however, we are seeing that 
we have an application, it's not going to scale, it's not going to meet our digital business needs for the future, and we need to find a platform to put it on and wholesale replacing it and putting it on to service now. It's very situation dependent, as you can imagine, given that you, you know this sector so well, but those are the two primary motions. You know, it's, again, it's it's very exciting times for almost everybody in a, in a brand new digital, you know, I would say native platform. The the discussion around hyper automation or a lot of automation comes uh, quite a bit. There are a few companies that are selling a lot of RPA solutions. You know, when you talk about this with your clients, how do you approach these technologies? Well, when I talk about it with our customer C-suite, Automation is absolutely a top priority and whether you use the term hyper automation or just automation and creating those automation centers of excellence. And so I think RPA has its place and it's really use case dependent. Maybe you have a piece of technology that's really hard to integrate with. So RPA is the right answer, or maybe it's transitory in nature. You have a platform that's going away or an app that's going away. The RPA might be the better integration technology or it's an acquisition divestiture related. And so it's temporary in nature. So let's use RPA there. And that's really why we built all the automation capabilities in our platform, RPA, workflow automation, integration capabilities. But here's where I think the puck is going on a rug, and that's with process mining. We added process mining into our platform as well. And I think this is gonna be a game changer for enterprises. So if you think about any operation today at any company, and you say, how is this operation performing? So most likely you'll get a lot of qualitative answers, or maybe there's a task force identified to come back in three months with an analysis on the process, where are the bottlenecks, and then maybe there's a plan to go do something about it. In three months, maybe if you're lucky. I think with process mining, it absolutely changes it by saying, whenever you digitize any workflow or process on the now platform, you turn process mining on, and the platform starts to tell you from day one where the bottlenecks are and how is it performing differently in, let's say, Germany versus Japan versus Brazil versus the UK. And all of that analysis that would have to be done by people to identify bottlenecks, to identify inefficiencies are now being done by the platform. And that's certainly our architectural mindset here as we implement our own platform to run our own company, which is putting instrumenting process mining into everything. So it will become, back to the way I started this, unthinkable to ever ask a person how a process is performing because the platform will start to tell you that. And we've seen incredible results driven by it. We use it in, you know, when employees engage with HR for HR case management, 20 to 30% speed improvements you know, 15 to 17% productivity improvements. And that's true, whether it's an HR process, go-to-market process for deal registration, or an IT-centric process like software delivery. You know, I, I often wonder, why the software providers that, you know, sell that functional area software do not embed that particular feature or, or capability in their own software. Can you... Uh, enlighten us why why the need for a platform that can go i would say cross-functional i i think 
what we've seen in our customer base is think about most processes that run a company. They're not contained to a particular department. And a lot of the applications that exist that people are running today were built to serve the needs of a particular department. Processes by nature are cross-functional, which lends itself to platform-like service now, because if you had process mining on a application that was serving a particular department, you're going to have an incomplete view. Let's take something very simple for a second, like employee onboarding. Employee onboarding touches HR, IT, facilities, cybersecurity, physical security, payroll, probably three other departments I'm not mentioning. So if you really want to understand how onboarding is working at your company, you can't just look at the HCM system. You can't just look at the payroll system. You can't look at the individual physical security badging system. You really have to look at how it's performing end to end. And that's where more customers are leaning into a platform like ServiceNow. So when you and, you know, sit and think about competition, who do you put as the biggest friction or the biggest area that you need to overcome to, you know, sell new products? Yeah, actually, because we coexist with all of them, it's really for us around finding the right value prop for our customers and figuring out what use cases make sense for service. It's very common, the leading platforms, the, whether it's the hyperscalers out there or the other major SaaS platforms, most large Fortune 500 are running all of them. But the key then is to identify where am I going to bet on achieving these outsized outcomes of customer experience, employee experience, speed and productivity. And that's lending itself to more and more investment on, plat on our platform. And, you know, this is just in terms of the key features, you know, you recently had a big user event. Can you outline some of those new features that you're most excited about that you think your customers are going to be receptive to? Yeah. Well, I get excited about all of it on a wrong, but, I'll, but I'll, <laughs> I, I will, I'll keep it to a few. And within the technology, what we call technology workflows, this concept of a service operations workspace, which really brings together multiple disparate teams within a technology organization to drive resiliency, better cybersecurity, better responsiveness to customer needs. Really excited about that because I think it'll help technology organizations get to that next level of productivity and to be able to deliver services for their customers and employees at scale. We made announcements in the hyper automation space about RPA and how our RPA integrates with our existing capabilities around workflow automation. So really excited about the work that we're doing in the hyper automation space. I talked about ERP workflows and how people are using ServiceNow as an experience and automation layer on top of it. So procurement service management, managing the complete procurement lifecycle with one centralized system of action, providing end-to-end -end visibility into all processes. And then we also introduced a new consumer-grade UX, which sits on top of all of our workflows. So regardless of what use case you're using ServiceNow for, you can be guaranteed you're going to get a consumer-grade UX for your employees and customers and partners. And from the reactions of our customers that were at these conferences, they are super excited about it. The number one question I got is like, how fast can I get it? Like what's in the way and what are the right use cases to put on your platform right now? 
within that, I would say, framework, the thing that I hear about a lot today, in addition to, as you said, about the challenges about an IT workforce or the, the shortage of workforce, the second big area that I say here about is supply chain management. And it's baffling to me that companies have very little visibility about where they're getting some of these products. What's, what's their visibility of their suppliers after that? What have you done or in terms of what does your product do to help in that particular area? We'd love to hear that. You know, a lot of our innovation is on a raw customer driven. We see where customers have a need and in a lot of cases, see where customers are already taking the platform. Because again, our, our platform being so flexible, customers will innovate on use cases, which we obviously then partner with them to curate, innovate, and harden. So supply chain is one of those areas, certainly because of the pandemic, got a renewed sense of focus. So we have built solutions now in the supply chain area. Procurement's an example of that. Critical part of any supply chain is procurement, managing cycle times, all of that. I mentioned that. But in addition to that, vendor onboarding, looking at their ESG profile, but probably most important, supply chain exception management. How are you looking at exceptions that are taking place in the workflows in your extended supply chain? Could be your supplier suppliers, getting a handle on that, using workflow and ML to automate your response to that and decreasing the cycle times to react to those external forces that are impacting your business. Those are solutions that we've also built on, on our platform. And the reception amongst our manufacturing client base is enormously positive. You know, you just mentioned ESG, and this is obviously an area of extreme interest for all our listeners, as well as I would say executives globally. What have been some of the areas or I guess investments that companies have made on the platform, on the now platform that can help them, you know, better understand their uh, uh, ESG footprint? Yeah, Anurag, as you said, ESG is top of mind for the C-suite, investors, and employees. Employees want to know that their company is doing things that are helping the environment, promoting inclusion and equity. And so... At most companies, there are a ton of efforts around ESG, but reporting and organizing all those efforts is pretty hard. So we've actually built an ESG solution that allows a company to do multiple things. One is there's things that are close to home to us, things around, call it hardware asset management, responsible, disposable, disposal, and things like that, that we're enabling on our platform. But second would be around organizing all the efforts so that there's not these sort of multiple points of ESG efforts, organizing it into projects and programs, and that's leveraging our, our project portfolio management capabilities. And then the third is organizing the reporting around it. And this is typically in most organizations, a lot of manual work to get a handle on the data. And as there's more and more regulation, around ESG disclosures and reporting, it has to be in an audited process by audited internally, audited externally. In our organization, it happens to go through our CFO office. So the now platform is playing a critical role into assembling all those disparate sources of information, organizing it, verifying auditability, enabling us to produce an external ESG report that we have confidence in, and we're seeing very positive reception from our customers on that as well. 
as as I just alluded to before, you know, the biggest issue facing almost every company right now is the shortage of technology talent. How are you dealing with it and how are you helping your clients deal with it? I think still the, the last thing I saw was about 400,000 new jobs are estimated, you know, and, and need software developers in the next 10 years. And that's a U.S. only. So imagine what that looks like worldwide. That is a lot of people. So how... I think the answer is really about what experience are you creating for your talent and how are you using tech? Because this is a generation that's growing up, digital natives, whatever label you want to put on it, they expect things to be super easy. And increasingly, they're going to make decisions based upon their experience at the company, maybe very different to how you and I grew up in our careers. So what we see with our clients saying, I want to use ServiceNow to create a talent advantage for my company. And yes, I have an HCM, but I need to create a great employee experience. And you asked what we're doing here. We focused it on five dimensions and really putting the employee at the center. How can we use tech to do what the employee wants? Empower me, enable me, connect me, grow me in my career, whether those are learning moments or self-service or connecting them with the various ESG efforts, the topic that we are talking about, helping them find their peers, the hitch acquisition with skills. You need help. Who has these skills in the organization? And simply making it easy for these employees to get their jobs done and focus on their core mission versus being bogged down with some of the administrative processes in the company. So that's what we're seeing. And I think this concept, and I actually presented at a recent conference with a bunch of HR professionals, this concept of using tech to create a talent advantage is really, really resonating. And that's what companies have to do to differentiate nowadays. You mentioned the customer service a few times. And one of the things we saw during the pandemic was companies that are selling, you know, cloud-based customer service applications just saw a massive increase. We still continue to see a, you know, a good growth rate in that area, despite macroeconomic problems. When it comes to helping customers improve their customer service, to external client, how do you get involved with it? Because a lot of what we have discussed so far is helping processes internally. But let's mm -hmm. talk a little bit about external facing and how do you help in that area? Sure. And I would say that this is probably one of the fastest growing areas where customers are leaning into service now. Because everyone is realizing this. And again, the pandemic was a bit of a forcing function to say, how am I digitally connected to my customer? How am I actually providing them an enhanced customer experience, which generates more brand loyalty? And how am I creating digital services that either I'm monetizing or I'm not monetizing, but just create that richer customer experience and leveraging service now for that? So, and this is where Anurag, it does get pretty industry specific, but I'll talk about a couple things. Most companies will have digital experiences, whether those are web enabled or mobile enabled, their own app or OEM or something like that. We, one of the acquisitions we made was around Lightstep. It's an observability platform. So if you think about it, how do you actually know what the experience your customer has with an endpoint? Again, mobile device or web, especially when that scales into the millions or even billions. So Lightstep is a company that provides observability for cloud applications at scale. So if you think about organizations like Spotify, they use Lightstep. So one is observability. How do you actually know what's going on with your customer? 
The other thing I would say is around what I call customer experience, but also customer operations. Those core operations that serve the customer. And this is again, industry specific. It could be things like order management, which I mentioned. It could be banking operations, could be claim operations. I'll give you an example of 7-Eleven. They launched something called 7-Help, which for their stores, when they need help, when they're franchise with an issue to serve their customers better, they're leveraging the ServiceNow platform to help streamline that process, get the franchises what they need so that they can serve their customers better. And we're seeing this play out really across industry. We're saying it's not just about the customer experience. It's about the operations that support the customer as well. And that's really what's needed to differentiate on this customer experience layer. There's a ton of momentum in this area. But again, this is an area that does get very industry specific. Excellent. You know, my, my last question is around the public sector. And one of the things that I have seen is ServiceNow has done far better than most software companies to penetrate this market, which in my view is, is far behind in embracing the, I, I would say, the, the technology curve compared to, you know, the likes of financial services or retail. What has been the reason for the success and how do you, con you know, uh, continue to keep it that way? Yeah, speaking from a U.S. standpoint, Anra, we're privileged at a lot of federal agencies that serve all of our citizens, our ServiceNow customers. And increasingly, it's all about how do I make it easier to do business? And how do I lower the cost internally so I can pour more dollars into what taxpayers really want? And we're seeing both these motions lend themselves to the ServiceNow platform. So whether it's defense organizations, which require higher and higher levels of security, which we're investing a ton in our platform. We announced, you know, IL-5 recently, which is very important for U.S. Fed, or it's meeting the regulatory requirements of public sectors in Europe, Australia, Japan, Korea, whatever the market happens to be. I think that is a sort of a minimum barrier to entry, the regulatory and the cyber posture of the platform, which we invest a ton into. And then it's about really building out, again, public sector specific use cases. So we just came out with public sector digital services set of applications really to accelerate value with purpose-built data models for the government. So we're investing a ton in it. We're having a lot of success worldwide. Obviously, I got into a little bit more detail on the Fed side. No, this is excellent, Chris. Thank you so much. It has been a lot of fun talking to you, and we look forward to having you back next year. A lot of fun talking with you, Anurag. We covered a lot of ground, and it was exciting. Thank you.